Rugby Coach Weekly Podcasts presents Coaching Laid Bare with Lisa Bird Burgess and LJ Lewis. Hello and welcome to Coaching Laid Bare Pod, um, where we discuss all aspects of coaching based on questions posed by rugby coaches across the world. Tonight we've got some great questions which um, LJ Lewis, herself, has set and myself um, have added to it and we're delighted for tonight's pod to have none other than Giselle Mather, who's Director of Rugby at Wasps um, Rugby Club and a great friend and uh, you know I spent many a great tours with Giselle and played against her and with her and we've had a great time. Giselle, how are are you how are you doing i'm doing great thanks bird really good hi lj hey giselle lj how are you hey, doing bird. how's the I'm week good. going for you and how's patrick um yeah he's back at nursery so he's pretty crazy because he comes back very tired um but no we're all good here we, uh, me and my husband have been getting out on our bikes quite a lot so um yeah a bit saddle sore <laughs> <laughs> But other than that, we're all great here. Thanks. Oh, that's good to hear. So Giselle, how have you been doing? How have you been finding lockdown and everything? I suppose it's a lot more lapsed over there now over in England, isn't it? Of course, I'm in Wales. We're just allowed to travel more than five miles today. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been good. Anyway, how have you been doing? Um, yeah, we, uh, yeah it's, it's, it's been an interesting time, hasn't it? There's never known so many variables in my life. Um, and you make a decision and then two minutes later you've got to change it because the rules have changed so it's been it's been one of those but uh it's also been really interesting in in how you stay connected as a as a squad um and how you can keep developing people players uh, us as as staff to uh to keep moving forward so uh yeah it's been it's been fun very challenging also three teenagers at home that's interesting lockdown three teenagers um learned a lot on that front as well uh but yeah it's been good it's been all right yeah because you guys you guys are both mums of course so not only are you having to work and keep wasps running and go in Giselle you're having to look after how old are your guys now god I remember them tiny tiny yeah 19 18 and 16 well so yeah imagine oh. just imagine that for two seconds in a <laughs> lockdown for 12 weeks but you know it is what it is but okay. they've been pretty cool to be fair they've been pretty cool that's great to hear. And yeah, like you said, there's been lots of interesting innovations going on with coaches keeping in touch with their players and that that could be a whole nother podcast. But I know tonight we've got some great questions and LJ, you're, you're yeah. posing those questions. So Alz, do you want to take it away? Here we go. I yeah, hope you're sitting so on a cushion, Alz, like... with that saddle soreness as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't worry, cushion my back, my bum, I'm all good here. Uh... Good to hear, good to hear, Alz, <laughs> sitting comfortably there. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Me and Bird, obviously, we've done a couple of these now, Giselle, but we've uh, decided to go down a bit of a route with you um, around some of our our attack kind of philosophies and stuff like that. So we thought it'd be a great place to start um, around how you would develop your players' ability to run, catch, pass and kick. Um, not necessarily any particular drills, but like what kind of process might you go through to get that their skill levels up? Um, well, those are the core fundamentals of the game, aren't they? So the more skillful your players become in those areas, the more opportunities you have to attack, the more things that you can create as, as an, an attack coach. Um, and if, you're, if your players have the ability to pass the ball seven, eight metres comfortably off both hands, it opens up a certain amount of things. If you can only comfortably pass as a group to the right, then that has one issue to the left, another. So all of those things are worth investing a lot of time in over long periods of time because skill development is something that is not a magic fix of one session. So we, as you know, we do a lot of stuff around the core skills. Um, we select two or three things that we intend to work on and then we really go to town on it um so just in the six nations period before lockdown because we don't get to play during during that period <coughs> we had a huge amount on our catch pass and our ability to execute 2v1s and 3v2s but we incorporated that into 
everything we did. So they yeah. were just, it was part of warm up, then it was part of attack drills, it was part of vision work, it was part of all sorts of things that, that we, we incorporated it in. Um, I think for, for younger players, it's got to be fun because people have the thing, oh, to be good at passing, you've just got to pass the ball back and forward, yeah. back and forward. But that, that phrase of let the game be the teacher. So you've got to develop ways for the, the players to catch pass way more times than they would in a, in a normal game. So if you're, playing, if you're playing touch, rather than have 13 aside, you've got a five aside. And if you've got five aside touch going on, you're going to touch the ball as a catch pass an awful lot more times. Um, the Rondo style that Barcelona footballers use, well, for catch pass, you can have six or eight of you in a circle and one player in the middle and you've got to see, put a clock on it. So it's challenging as to how quickly the, or how long you can stop the defender intercepting it or you, one of your players dropping it and you get more and more competition around that for youngsters. Um, I think raising players' awareness is another one where you're on a really good attack and then it's a poor pass that checks it and allows defenders to get across the field. And actually, sometimes players think, well, I, they've all got there, but they don't realise that the players had to really check to take. So just constant awareness of that. In our session plan at Wasps, we have a box that says what core skill is the key for that session. And, you know, as a coach, if, say, it was catch pass, it could be that your whole session is based around 300 passes per player in that session. So, you know, on a Sunday morning down at the minis, if you've got them for an hour and a half, if every player was to pass the ball 300 times in your session, but that's not an easy thing to do other than, you know, if you say, well, you stand opposite and we'll pass it backwards and forwards, I've never known anything more dull and the players won't come back next week. Yeah. So, <clears> but, <throat> but if you're playing, again, your touch, but it's two pass touch, you can't, if, if you're touched after one pass, it's a turnover. And very quickly, the players realise they've got to shift the ball and they've got to move in order to do it. They've got to get the right depth to do that. So, as I say, the game is the teacher um, and you're setting, setting, setting different things. Um, can do you think, um, sorry, Giselle, just on that, with, especially with like younger players and also keeping them engaged, do you, do you think like introducing other balls into those kind of games, that sort of thing to, you know, Absolutely. I know we're, we ultimately play with the rugby ball, but there's no harm in... Oh, it's, it's great to do that, and it yeah. makes it, it increases focus instantly of the players. You know, you've suddenly got a tennis ball, you've then got you know um, a football, then you've got maybe even a little golf ball, and uh, you know just little things like that that immediately the players are, are thinking and have to concentrate on the ball. Players that struggle to catch it, ask them to look at the way the ball spins, so that they're focused, and so that means that their eyes are actually watching the ball. So you ask them, tell me which way, or what what do you read on the ball if as it's coming towards you. And they, you know, tell you what they, the name of the make of the ball that you're using. And suddenly they've caught it because they're actually looking at the ball. So there's, there's loads of different things. And I think, you know, it's got skill development is repetition, 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 but it doesn't have to be dull. You can skin it in hundreds of different ways. Yeah. yeah, I'm just going to come in there as well, Alja. I think, yeah, you touched on quite a lot of different things there. And I think the big thing for me is, um, you know, is making sure that these core skills are reinforced every single time you've got training. So whether it's at the start of training, the middle, interspersed, you've got it as a theme, like you said, you know, so, so you really refocus on those core skills every, every time you train together. And I think, Alja, like you were just saying, the different types of balls, there's so many out there now as well, you can incorporate in your training skills just to get the players' um, spatial awareness, hand-eye coordination up um you know tennis you've got the rebound nets as well which are great those little ones you can purchase crazy and catch, set up yeah. crazy catch they're, they're great fun you know and again you can use different balls in the warm-up any you know um coaches out there i'm sure and also the rebounder match ball as well you know you practice yourself i'm sure loads of those have gone out um yeah. especially during lockdown but um you know just building up because go on sorry out uh, sorry there's, there's another one with that is that you encourage practice away from practice particularly yeah. the young so you want them to practice it when they're not with you on that Sunday session um, for the youngsters. And, you know, tennis balls against the wall, things like that is you know, one ball to start with, then two balls going. Then can you do it with, you know, bouncing the ball up against the wall? Can you have three balls going at the same time? And just, you know, that way you're challenging your, the, the youngster who, who really struggles, just does with one ball, but your most talented performer, you're seeing whether they can actually get three balls moving up against the wall as it, as it goes. When they, when they go back. And I think 
if you can reach a thing, I'm, I'm a lot about 80-20 in a lot of things I do, but if, if they're getting about 80% success of the, of the games that you're playing or the practices that they're doing and 20% fail, you're just about the right challenge thing. So the 80% success means they're keeping their confidence as athletes and believing that they are quite good at it. But the 20% of failure means that they are they are challenged so they're going to get better they're not bored because if they're 100 percent success they're obviously bored um and they're not learning anything if it's like 50 50 they're starting to think oh i'm crap at this and they lose it they, they lose it enthusiasm there but about 80 percent success and as a coach you set the, the the game off and if it's you know, there's failure everywhere you've got to pull out a few of the conditions and make it easier if there's success 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 you've got to tweak it and make it a little bit more difficult in order that you're watching your players not always succeed yeah. yeah i think it's um just on that point um Gisella, but i think i learned this with my juniors when i was at Hartbury with you bird yep. that actually don't be afraid to go back sometimes and i always made sure there was an element of every session where that catch pass was really high whatever that looked like but then also if i was trying to do something with them whether it was progressing them and trying to teach them something you know like a move or even how better to execute a 3v2 but actually their catch pass just wasn't good enough but I would go back and I don't think that's a, a bad yeah. thing either you know to take players back I know we've done that at Wasps this season at times like we're just not getting something we go back to real basics so I think that's a real we did that with, we did it with like, didn't we with the the, the jump yeah. <laughs> just wasn't good enough so yeah. we had all these wonderful things we wanted to do offline out but we couldn't do them until the, the skill level of jump lift was, was there. So we had to strip it right back, which mm. was very frustrating for you, particularly yeah. LJ, as, as a coach. But you, you had to do it and take away some of the, the stuff that you, have, you want to bring in until you'd really got. And then the players knew that that creativity, et cetera, was there to take. But we've got to get really good at this. And they, they work really, really hard. And now we've got a group of players that will be able to execute all, execute all sorts of things creatively because the core fundamentals of, of the lift and the movement and the jump are hundreds yeah. of times better than they were at the beginning of last season. Yeah. And it is a journey, isn't it? Because yeah, yeah. You know, skill development takes time um, and coaches have got to be patient with that. And if you're trying to skin, like mm. in a session, if you're trying to do the run, the kick, the pass, the catch, the da, 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 all over the place, players don't get any better. You, I think you've got to pick what's important to you and, and run it for at least six weeks as that as your, your core thing, particularly with younger athletes and really go for it. And then that gets better. Then you can add the next level, um, which involves what you've just coached as well. So they've got to be doing that plus the next bit, which then, and again, you go for about six sessions on that. But again, you've got, you've got to, you've got to really think about it. So your athletes don't get bored because as soon mm -hmm. as they're bored, you know, chaos, particularly on a Sunday morning with the minis bored athletes oh my god it's like herding cats <laughs> with um with that boredom part as well and also thinking about you know coming back to training at the minute for you know for clubs potentially with all these restrictions what how else could you you know work on your catch pass run put it under pressure but do it like how could you be creative with it what um what might you that, do that's, that's a definite challenge because you know you're not allowed to touch you're not allowed anything but i think mm. i think it's about targets i think it's about speed doing things at yeah. real real speed um it's about fatigue so doing these you know making the athletes work really hard in conditioning doing a strength and conditioning bit but then into having to to pass and hit certain targets move down the line potentially hit targets speed of ball traveling because you're allowed to catch pass to each other so setting ball off here and stopwatch time to the end athletes really enjoy that how quickly can you get the ball from one to the other bringing athletes in at first receiver and last receiver I do an awful lot of that where I think players often admire their work and anyone who's worked with backs particularly work with me I'm always going oh admiring our work are we as they put out a beautiful pass and stood there and watched it and instead they should be on the end of it three three later second touch is critical to to loading an attack and you know a good pass means admiration and so uh little things like that I think we'll be able to 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 do a lot of before we're allowed to get into what looks more like rugby but I think you know kicking as well you know you put targets out where those that ball's got to land and yeah. people chasing that ball and, and catching it under arriving at the same time they're really good skills that, that can be done when you're social distance and yeah. only six out on a field and 
all the things that are coming our way in the next month, but it's the same for everyone. And those particular things I think can be, can be well drilled. And I think athletes in a way, if we, if we're creative with it, we'll enjoy it because they're not getting smashed up. <laughs> so there's mm. no, there's no body hurt. They just enjoying the skills they do. So I think they might quite enjoy it. Yeah, and in, in more ways as well, it's lent itself to be coaches to becoming more innovative, you know, to think of those ideas that's going to, you know, to enable our athletes to improve their core skills, you know, without having that contact. So, you know, there is a lot of thought that's been going around it. And some of those ideas there, you know, you see some, uh, some of the Kiwis, the All Blacks that they've been doing, you know, prior to their lockdown has just been brilliant on, on the, um, really accessible as well on the web. You can pick up some of those skills they've been doing, which is great, especially the kicker ones. It's great pressure, isn't it, without the usual standard pressure. So, you know, the pressure of, of the ball's got to be passed before you will reach this line. We're going to move it down before you get to the tackle line. And you just mark out where the tackle line would be. Or, as I said earlier, the, the stopwatch. You know, you've got to create yeah. pressure space, get into width, and you create pressure in that way rather than in what we traditionally know is the speed of line out, of, of lines coming up and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So. And, yeah, using, using, and using what's on the pitch, like you said, the rugby post as well, you know, catching it prior to the post, then passing it, you know, two passes off. That's a really difficult skill. But again, mm -hmm. it's there, it's available. So any two of you, you can social distance because the rugby posts are apart. So, you know, there's loads of things like that you can do and the targets yeah. on the fence, etc. So, yeah. yeah. But, um, um, but I wouldn't, hmm. I wouldn't profess to be a kicking coach, but I think um, in the women's game, especially, you know, <laughs> most definitely not. I tried not to kick the whole of my career. I think I did it once. But um, Giselle, quite the opposite for you. But I think, um, you know, being able to run, pass, catch, you know, kick as well is really important. And like I said, those drills have to be reinforced every session. And that ownership you create within the culture of the club as well, like when players arrive, you know, when you see young kids get into sessions in the minis, they're all kicking the ball around, they're passing the ball. It's, you know, it's what they want to do and it's how you hone into that to get them to reinforce and get those skills across did you see so uh, hoskins soto kick from eight up the oh, back? yeah it's amazing there you, go, there you go it's not about the number on your back it's whether it's the right thing to do at the right time so well, there you my, go. my hero's We've all got forwards haven't we that want to kick my no, hero's and still remains zinzan brook when he did that drop uh, yeah yeah, yeah. he's Amy, also Amy. number eight yeah yeah <laughs> seasons ago Amy Pitain exited for us from she just had enough of us messing about down in the exit zone and she just put a boot ball, took us for 122 to about six meters out from the line for, for us to attack from it's unbelievable so it doesn't matter who you are having the opportunity to kick you never know when you're going to need it exactly, exactly. <laughs> so um we've got all these upskilled players or skillful players and now we need to use those skills um to get the ball into the space so how, um, how might you, um, and I don't know, Bird or Giselle, if you want to come in first, whoever, um, how might you get your players to find or see that space? Go for it, Bird. Yeah, I think first and foremost, when you're talking about space, the big thing when you're working with minis or all the way up is understanding what space actually is. And I think that's a really important thing, you know, to, to give those examples, certainly when you're working with younger players, you know, so they understand how you create space, like, you know, fixing a defender, working in small grids, 2v1s, 3v2s, and then building up the intensity so they can actually see what space looks like. And, and you know, for, for, for uh, older, more experienced players, you, you know, video footage, obviously, is you're looking at that when you're going through what you want your team to, to achieve from first phase ball, how you create that, that space using video analysis can really help with that. Um, you know, um, varying the size of drills you do from making the area smaller to larger so you can create that opportunity for overlap as well really helps. Um, you know conditioning the games a drop-off touch is always a great one so if you're playing touch rugby you know and then once you get touched you've got to run backwards where's the space stop the game don't be afraid to stop the game as well like you said Giselle the game's the greatest teacher stop the game say to players ask the questions what are you looking at why would you attack there where's the space and I know LJ when you worked with the juniors a lot of that was you know a lot of the work we did was stopping getting the pictures the picture so the players could see what the picture was um, yeah. and looking at where that space was so, definitely yeah. like what are they seeing and uh, what do they look for to, I, they were the two questions I posed myself when I I saw that bird so yeah because I, I mean your players have to understand what they're looking for and I know when, when we say you know we're like can't you see where the space is oh my god you know is, is it is it going to be a kick over is it going to be a grub kick through can't you, you can why can't you see it and it's actually stopping it and not being afraid for them to say right stop stay where you are look What's in front of you? Where's that defender moved to? Where is now the space? Asking those questions, getting your players to think through. I think it's, it's really important to develop that understanding. So, yeah. 
What's me? I don't know. Zell, what's your thoughts? Um, I totally agree with what Bert just said. Um, but I think I think the big thing for me is that you sit, sometimes the players will see the space, but they've got absolutely no idea how to get the ball there while the space is there. So space is only space if you can get the ball there before the opposition put defenders there, if that makes sense. So you might see that you've technically, and, and, and you watch it, you know, you're watching the, the rugby on the TV and you're going, oh my God, there's an overlap, an overlap. And they start to move the ball there. And of course the defence drift across and suddenly there is no overlap, but it looked like there was an overlap in the, in the first place. So it's, it's, it's about working out how you not only see it, but how you get it there. And like this, for me, there's five, things around space first of all is the space in front of the defenders so the gap between me and my opponent in front of us and that you know if there's if there's hardly any space between us then collision is imminent if there's loads of space between us then that allows me to move the ball wide without pressure but highly likely that they're going to slide off so you've got to manage that space as a as a player to hold at the defender but also still be able to, to to execute your pass there's obviously the space in between defenders, which you try and make wider and wider and stress. Then you've got the space outside the last defender, out on the wing usually, so that, that you've got the space there. You've obviously got the space in behind, which is the biggest space. And then you've got the space that the game creates itself. So for example, if you have a scrum, then you've got 18 players in a tiny space on the field and the other 12 fill the rest of the space. So the game creates certain areas where space can be exploited because you already know what it's going to look like. But I think, so those are the sort of, as Bird was saying, making players see that space and, and, and understand those different things and how to manipulate and manage. But then, you know, LJ and I last year, we did a, a heck of a lot of work on this visual stuff um, because the, fir the first thing is to, I think, to raise players' self-awareness and make vision a thing. Um, and not just say look because they, they don't know what they're looking for. So we, yeah. we, did, a, we did a thing which um, if you look up on YouTube, uh, who done it, um, awareness training, right? And that's what I started with. And there's this video, and I'm not going to tell you what it is because it will ruin it when you, anybody out there who wants to actually go and take look it up on YouTube. And you'll I, know thought you I'd nail, I thought I'd nailed it. And then they, sh they show you what oh, actually no, happens. Don't and tell, I was no, like, don't tell, don't tell. <laughs> I'll tell them. But. <laughs> yeah. but you'll know you've got the right video if it's, if it's all about Lord Smythe. That's all I'll tell you. And basically what that, what that highlights to players is that they're visually blind. And then you go from on, on with that. Um, and we, had, we got them to, to start thinking about things in the background and the foreground. And one of my players who's been playing since she was about, I don't know, well, it's about 10 years she's been playing the game. We came off that session where we were talking about foreground and background. And she, she, she came up to me and she said, I shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to. This is why I won't name her. She said, I have never, ever looked in the backfield when I play the game. Just never looked. Because, okay, she's a forward. So she's looking about what she's got on the contact area and where, you know, that sort of thing. But she'd never once decided to have a really good look about what was going on in the backfield. Um, so we, we do, we had some apps that we, we worked on, spot the difference, you know, like you used to do as a kid, you get these two pictures and it's how quickly can you spot, spot the, the differences. There's loads of apps out there that, that you can do that with. Um, we had one about finding objects. So you get this bloody great, oh sorry, sport. You've got these pictures of, um, uh, loads and loads of objects all in a so it might be like a harbour scene where you've got the boat and all the spanners and the equipment on the boat and all this stuff and you've got there's five objects at the bottom that you've got to find as quickly as possible and it's just training your eyes to look background foreground looking for certain specific things and then we transferred that into the game what is it we're looking for so for example in 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 the line out because it's a law of the game you check the numbers you look to see whether they've got five or four or six or seven because you get penalised if you don't know. So that's automatic. But we don't necessarily look to see where the opposition nine is and the opposition wingers are because, you know, that could, whether we're attack or defence, if, if we're in defence, we really need to know where those players are because they're the ones who have the difference. Mm. And if we're in attack, we should know where they are defensively and, and, and work our attack from it. So it's, it's looking for things like that. Words like crossbar, touchline to touchline, getting people to look up and all that are things that, that we use. And 
we did a lot of work, didn't we, with combined with the 2v1 stuff that we were working yeah. on. And if a player, we put like three players, so you know when you've got these 2v1 drills just going on and banging out the 2v1 one after the other after the other. We had they a become of, a bit repetitive, don't they, and like get into a rhythm. Yeah, so we had, a, we had a couple of the players in red bibs. And if you came up against someone with a red bib, they were a space. And so you mustn't pass it because you could just run. And that player knew that they weren't allowed to tackle or stop you, but they come running up as if they're a normal player. And straight away, the player's like, oh, God, I didn't see it. And then we as coaches know who's looking and who can see it. Because, mm. you know, and then we had things start happening where players start to tell each other, it's a space, yeah. it's a space that others are looking. But that's <laughs> communication that you want on the field. You're asking players to, you know, if, if you see that there's a, a, you know, a gap that someone should, should take and you shout mm. it, that, that's great. And you start to learn, your, learn that. We, we've tried eye patches which are, you know, that turns players inside out. But what that does, if you take one eye out, they've got to turn their heads to look. And suddenly they realise that they don't use their heads. They don't turn. They're just tunnel vision looking in front of what's mm. directly in front of them. So just little things like that, that, that that we're using, that all of those things, very simple, but it's making vision a thing. And I think by making it a thing, players start to really buy into it. And again, you've got to invest in it. You've got to take time. Nine weeks we did, didn't we, LJ, between that? Yeah. We never got the chance yeah. to find out if it was going to work in a game because COVID came. So we're going to have to pick it all up again. But um, yeah, it was it was a nine-week programme while the Six Nations was on. So, and, wow. and yeah. I've got some really great stuff there, um, Giselle and LJ. I'm sure you did a was. And I like the way you broke it down as well to where the space is, you know, because obviously evasive footwork comes in if it's 1v1, you know, there's space either side, like you said, and there's lots of different components of space you've got to make available for that player. And communication is key to that as well. And once you've nailed that and the space where the players can see, put that together, boom, you've got a really good attacking boom. side there. <laughs> Loving that. But Lord Smythe, who done it? So that's the YouTube to look at, is it? Right, yeah, okay. It I'll get on there and see what I can do. But, it's um, a mind-blowing video. It's really I'm good. looking forward to that. It's only, it's only about three minutes. only about three, three minutes. But it'll, it'll prove the point that I'm making. Yeah. But it's really important, though, that, that you know, especially this scanning, isn't it, to encourage players? Because quite often, you know, players, you, you're so intent. I know myself, when I was playing as a forward, you know, you've got that ball, you're looking at what's in front of you, not, you know, the bigger picture. And as you get more experience, obviously, that comes. But it's really important to help develop that with your players. And I like the idea of looking at different things to do that. Really I think I think also one of the messages we tried to get the players to not just look at like the spaces but also the shirt so who's in the shirt because you'd always expect to see the forwards around the same place and the backs in the same place but what if that becomes a space I think Virgil had already touched on different spaces and Giselle you did so <clears throat> we also tried to get them to identify who's in the shirt which yeah. then might become an opportunity yeah. and then other spaces yeah. might open up um and I know you did some off-field stuff on that as well, Giselle, when we were in uh, Montpellier on the games we played. Was it checkers we played? Yes. Games? You had the, to also talk about isolating people, but then that's about knowing where they are, so you've got to look at where they are on the shirt. ties in with the stuff we did. So I'll probably get in trouble for explaining this, but we, we would have like, so we played drafts or checkers, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And we, we were, so if we were, we had a board for each team in the league. And if we were playing a particular, I'm not with names, but if we were playing a team that we might struggle against, then that team had 12 pieces to our eight and we still had to work out how we were going to win it. And if we were the stronger team, we had eight pieces and the opposition were, were, were fighting with yeah. four. And uh, yeah, just to get, to, to show that you, you need different things for different games and you've got to find different ways to, to take on different opponents. And uh, yeah, we had a few people get really competitive people get really stroppy about the fact that they would start the game with only four pieces because they were playing as if they were whichever opponent we, we've named as was four pieces and um we would always was would always start with eight because that was no 12 it is 12 isn't it on the checkers board start with 12 and the so. opposition would have more if we if we struggle against them and less if we felt that we and then there was somewhere we were eight on eight uh, 12 on 12 sorry and and that would be uh yeah and you, you, you attack that in, in that way to make, work out different strategies for different things. 
I, lo- I love that. Oh, that's absolutely brilliant. That reminds me as well, I read a book, I'm, uh, the names escape me now, but it's about the first New Zealand side that toured over in Great Britain and they travelled by um, boats, so it took them a long time, but they had uh, watermelons on board and they used to use the watermelons, um, so so lay them out as a set of backs against another set of watermelons and w- work out how they'd, they'd run their plays, you know. So if I move here, where's your watermelon going to move? And they actually designed all these plays on board when they were traveling. It's a brilliant book. I must, I'll, I'll post the name afterwards if I remember it, but yeah, it's, um, it's, um, maybe you put watermelons though. I think dirty dancing where she stands there and goes, <laughs> I carried a watermelon. That's the only, <laughs> one of my favorite movie lines. I carried a, why did I say that? I carried a watermelon. I love but, it. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. But, but the point is, the point is, you can use different um, different things to help your players understand and, and look at what what they're doing. You know, and, so and it um, makes it memorable. That ma- it makes it memorable. Yeah. So even those watermelons, they don't. You know, that's, that, <laughs> makes, that makes it memorable, though, doesn't it? Do you know yeah. what I mean? And 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 when you've got something that you can anchor memory to, then you've got more chance of learning. So learning is is repetition, repetition, repetition. But if you've got a new experience that is shared by your group then it becomes something that you attach the memory to. So put, making them wear eye patches. So we yeah. had Kath Spencer, Kath Spencer come on our uh, Zoom call the other week to talk to them, to, to, you know, question and answer with all my squad about her book and all this stuff. And, and she, she talked about a session that I did with eye patches with her 25 years ago. And she remembers it like it was yesterday. Now that was different. It was something, and, that, and that's the thing. Learning gets anchored to things that are unusual much more quickly so it's finding unusual ways to make players think and remember i like it good okay so um the next i suppose the next uh, debate would be so we've got all these skilled players they can find space but there's still 15 of them on the pitch potentially with all their own ideas so um what's your feeling around having structure or no structure um and how much structure do you think you should you should really give your your players um do you want to start with that yeah Yeah. let's go for this one Cherise oh I know I know what Giselle's going to say straight away but (laughs) (laughs) but yeah again again this is appropriate to what kind of team what level you're coaching at because obviously we're you know we're coaching at the higher end of the game and then there's grassroots rugby minis rugby but I think it really does depend on kind of the ability and age range of the age of the athletes that you've got for me personally I think you need certain structure depending on where you are on the field of play so for example if you're in your own 22 you're exiting you have to have structured plays from there so you've got a clear structure a clear exit strategy of you know how you're going to secure the line out if you're going to hit it up once or twice and how you're going to clear it what you're going to do then so that players know exactly what they're doing to make it sure that you you know don't get that they don't score a try against you (laughs) if you're in your 22 and then as gradually when you play outside the 22 um, that's where, again, you can have first phase ball. You know what you're doing off first phase ball. You might have a hit up and then, you know, it becomes a bit more unstructured there because everything opens up, but you've got the structure from the first first, first phase ball. So for me, I think you do need structure. Um, and I think you need structure for certainly for your first phase ball um, and you play off it. And then obviously things open up and players have to learn to play what's in front of them as well. But you do, I think, certainly from the exit, 22, your own 22, you need that real structure. I don't know. Giselle, what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I think that it's a coaching cop-out to say play what you see. And I've, I've, I know I'm documented as saying that. Um, I think it's important, but it's that wonderful thing called balance. Um, and you need, if I'm, if I'm stood at 10, and I've got a player who's on the outside shoulder of 13. What's in front of us as we look up is very different for what I see to what they see, just because of the nature of the different width across the pitch. They're in a position where they might be looking at space on the edge, whereas I'm in a position where I might be looking at the backfield and we're all thinking different things. And with 15 people on the field and the chaotic way that our game is, and at the same time somebody's, somebody's running towards you to try and take your head off, is... It means that there's no way that you can get 15 people on the same hymn sheet. So I I believe that you need a framework. And this goes back to my 80-20. And I would, I would say that if I was coaching under 11s, the framework that day would be 
we're going to two pass this ball at every opportunity we can. So that's their framework. So they, they know that we don't want to just, and what, what I'm trying to create from that would be that they bring people into the, into the game. Um, it may be that we're going to play in, so they start to understand, we're going to try and play off of nine in this particular area of the field and off of 10 in this area of the field, whatever you want it to be, so that they start to, to grasp that there are things that help or not. And then at the end of the game, we might have got absolutely stuffed because we did that. But that doesn't matter. The result doesn't matter. Then I say to the players, okay, what did we learn from that? What was it like always having to pass the ball twice? Could you do it all the time? But you still got to encourage them that when they go, well, if I'd passed it that second time, they would have intercepted it. Brilliant. So that's what I call the 20. So 80% of the time, rugby, because of the nature of the structure in it, the scrums, the lineouts, the restart, a penalty, where the people on the field are going to be, you roughly know where the people on the field are going to be. And you've got to, you've got to mess that up to find yeah. the 20%. And, or as LJ said, find the, the person in a different shirt that, you know, the, the, the person in the shirt. So I'm a winger and a prop forwards in front of me. Well, that's an opportunity. Mm. So I break from structure straight away because I believe that I got it and I can, I can go past this person. So it doesn't matter what the structure is or the play or where we were trying to get to because we've already created it. And, and great players see those opportunities that come before what you thought the structure would give you, if that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. yeah, no, I, I completely see what you're saying. I don't, I don't disagree with structure. I think, you know, structure is a massive part of the game and more so now than ever before, most definitely. But when, when, you know, when certainly when I said um, play what you see, I think sometimes as you're just alluding to there, if you've got a mismatch in front of you, that is you playing as you see it. Exactly. And sometimes, and, and my, my take on it is sometimes you can be too structured in the game because mm -hmm. sometimes players' creativity, I believe, gets nulled sometimes because they're like, oh, well, you said we have to play this off this. And you're like, hang on a minute. The reason, yeah, that is what we said we were going to do. But actually, that's when, that's when I flip back to my discussion on sometimes you have to play what's in front of you, what can you see. And it's, it's, it's enabling and, and giving the players the kind of um, structure, if you like, so that's um, back to structure, so they can see what, what actually you're hoping to achieve from that and what you're trying it's to achieve. It's balance, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah, the balance. I agree. And, and people yeah. who say, play what you see and don't give players a framework, yes. that's, that's the coaching cop-out. 100%. That's what I believe is the coaching yeah. cop-out. And I think but, but with little, little people who are starting to learn the game, you want the minimum, but you've got to give them something <clears throat> that gets them to hang together as a team. Because a bunch of individuals, you'll just get one kid who just goes, well, I'm just going to run every time I get it. Well, that mm. actually isn't necessarily what we want to happen. And because you, that, that person's got to learn to pass. And then we've got others who stand out on the wing and never see the ball all day because, you know, we just don't pass it. So you've got to find what your team as, as youngsters need to get them to be better. And for three weeks, it might be right. We are going to be, I remember watching my son's, team he had a, a really really good year seven rugby teacher at his school and he point blank refused to allow any of them to kick the ball at all now at the beginning it was you know and and the, the ironic thing right at the very end of their season so at the beginning they really struggled with it because they they were preparing to kick and then realized they couldn't and but what what happened was over the course of the season they ended up a really really lovely catch pass handling team and then they came up against in the, in the team thing that they do, the competition, they, right at the end, they're in the final and the ball, they, they've, they've won, they're winning by two points, but, and the, the time is up. And this guy's going, I want them to kick it into touch. And I've told them they can't kick. How do we finish this? It was hilarious. And you could see this kid was like, I need to kick this off the field. But if I kick this off the field, I've kicked the ball and he's going to kill us. So there was this moment, but you know, it was, it was, <laughs> but, but by putting that constraint on these youngsters, Every single one of them had to learn to either take contact and reproduce the ball or to pass the ball. And mm. they grew with it. And, and that was their structure. Mm. That was what he asked for, that you, you will run and you will see. But it was the structure was, we are a passing team. And now, as youngsters, that's all the structure that you might need. Whereas as you go further and further up the meet end, you, mm. you all have to be on the same page. And, and, and with structure comes a massive communication issue. Yeah. You know, the better your communication yeah. systems and learning to develop that is, is the golden nugget 
Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, um, I definitely had that experience when I was working with the juniors. You know, you'd have a, a year group that you'd been with for a year, then a new year group come in. So you weren't playing every week either. So you had that time to develop. So, so a bit like you were saying to Zell, focus for six weeks on something. You know, we'd have a real good block of time. And then I would approach a game by saying, okay, so we've worked really hard on when three-on-twos come. We're going to exploit them. So we're looking for the three-on-twos. And I would maybe give particular players, so decision makers, maybe who've been there for the year, might not necessarily have been the 10, because my 10 might still be the 16-year-old the who's only just come. Um, but help them to, to manipulate scenarios. So we've worked on our three-on-two. And it, I think that scenario worked and made the girls better than when they moved into the um, you know the senior game or, or wherever they play now, whether it's in premiership or whatever level. But then also on the flip side of that, working now in the premiership, I think we try and empower players to have options so they're all on the same page because I know what the forwards want to do, but I know what the backs want to do. So we need to have some things together, but also the power to when they feel something's not right because we can't, you know, we stand up there watching them and being like, why aren't they doing that? But we can't feel it. So like you've said, Giselle, when you work with the juniors, they figured out that if they were going to get that pass intercepted, they can't do the two passes. So you've got to carry. So if you've got a really aggressive team, maybe you've got to go away from your game plan or do something different, game plan, structure, whatever you call it. You've got to do something different to then go back to your plan. Um, and I suppose as coaches as well, we try and send messages to them to help them do you know what? This isn't working today. We've got to do something different. And uh, uh, yeah, 100%, 100% agree. And I, and I think the other the other thing is the game gives us structure. So yeah. you have a line out. That's structure. Mm. Everybody stands, give or take. You might you've got different formations of how the backs can stand and and who's go, going where. But you know, and I think young players, all this. Are we a five man line out, four man line out, seven man line out? So if you say to the players, right, we'll do five man. You have to explain to the youngsters why. Why are we doing five men? What does it give us as an attacking side? What does it mean that the defense, which the, the defense are going to have to do now? And if the players start to understand that, then that, you know, as, as the younger they are, just, oh, I just want five of you to stand here. You two go out there. That doesn't, that doesn't educate them. That doesn't help them to understand why a five-man lineup in this particular area of the field might be beneficial to us as a team. And I think, I think because the game gives us structure, by its restarts and you know penalties people have got me back 10 so that's a, a big a bit of structure that's thrown at, at us by the laws of the game the, the scrum the line out the dropouts they're all structured things so you don't i don't know if you send an army into battle you wouldn't just say to each soldier do what you like do whatever you like you know you just wouldn't do it you've got to bring them together to get them to strategically work out how and the further up the game you go, the more, as you've said, the more you need of that because the opposition are that much better. But little ones, I don't think you, you mustn't kill them with structure, but you just got to give them yeah. a couple of little things to think about and let them. And But the debrief afterwards for little ones is the big thing. You know, what learning did they get by playing that particular way that day? And, you know, at the end of that, that thing when they should have kicked the ball out was a massive chat afterwards it was like yeah that's a moment that you've got to kick because this that the rest of it we needed to finish the game how do you finish the game you're not allowed to run it straight out to touch or that would be the penalties all of these things and that's massive learning for youngsters so yeah but it needs a framework it's probably the way that makes everybody feel more comfortable with it yeah i think i think you've hit the nail on the head it's that balance that seesaw isn't it between structure and unstructure and you're right in um, so, so many different levels there. And I think that analogy for the youngsters as well, and we can bring it to the senior game for, um, through the condition games that we give them as well, with that structure to give those practices. And I think with the coach, you've got, you, you, you can't, the, the way that you encourage the 20%, which is what the great players see, is you, you've got to celebrate it when, it, when you see it, mm. or when they've tried to see it, or they do something and you're looking at it going, what in, you know, why? You've got to ask them, what did you see? Why did you do that? So they've broken from structure. Why did you do that? Now, I'm, I might look at it and think, you know, well, there was an, a, a case at the weekend um, where he went for the line, the winger went for the line, had a two-man overlap, and it would have completely swung the game um, in the Super, super Fives. And um, 
he didn't he didn't do it he didn't see it so the question is why did you do that and what mm. he was doing back in thinking he could do it and crash over and of course he was brought down and that was the end of it but um the asking players why they did it and if they can give you something that they saw you've got you've got to just wear it you've just got to if you're encouraging that opportunity to break from structure then you just go oh, okay fair enough that you know you can't shout at players who break from that who break from structure otherwise they become fearful of, of doing mm. it and then they don't take the bloody great hole when it appears it's in front and that's, of that's the, that's the important thing isn't it because so many coaches I've seen when you know you've got these set plays and everything and and then all of a sudden the player does something different you're like what are you doing and then all of a sudden they may score a try and you're like oh oh okay well <laughs> and then that, that's when you kind of go it's those moments when you go like you said understand the players well what did you actually see then what made you what made you and then that's how you realize that's how you know things your structure develops etc etc so and, and, and for massive player learning, yeah, massive. And that's that's what it's all about. And it's not just the players, but the coaches as well. You know, we can learn from what they see because we don't see what they see. You know, it's so different. But yeah, no, good question, Alex. Good question. Is it me now? <laughs> yes, you <Nina. laughs> know. Lovely. <laughs> that was a great question. I mean, you could talk about that a lot more, I'm sure. But um, but anyway, yeah. So kind of leading on from that, really, it's um, the question now is, um, you know, what's what about a game plan then? How how would you what do you think is the ideal recipe for a game plan, and, and what do you need to consider when you're actually developing and making a game plan? You going first, Elge? Yeah. <clears throat> um, so. Obviously, with my forwards hat on, I and obviously I have had to do this quite recently. Coming to move across to you guys at, at Worcester and working with you this season, I suppose the first thing is, is I I really reflected on what I believed as a, a coach. So, <clears throat> what was my philosophy? Obviously, um, set piece and and like well breakdown, but probably more collision type stuff. Really, um, I'm really passionate about. So, I think a lot of my philosophies come from that. Um, so I, I went back to that and then figured out the kind of, before I even saw the team, I had a real basic infrastructure for my set piece. And then I suppose the players shaped that a little bit, followed on by what Giselle wanted in terms of our, <laughs> our attack. So I suppose I'm in a bit of a different situation because I wasn't leading our game plan, but I got a really clear directive from Giselle, which helped me formulate what would work for our forwards yeah. um, <clears throat> and along the way I've had to change it tweak it like Giselle mentioned uh, earlier on about how you know our jump lift jump lift throw wasn't good enough so strip some stuff back and actually we haven't even touched on some of the things that I'd wanted to do from first phase <clears throat> some of our breakdown stuff's evolved um, obviously it'll evolve again with when we see how it gets reffed in the northern hemisphere but I think I've still yeah. got quite a clear philosophy on what I want to line out scrum and how I want to see collisions, you know, managed. So hopefully when I came to Wasp, I don't know, Giselle will be able to tell you if that worked or not. Um, <clears throat> and then with a game plan, I think you've got to be able to then adapt to your player's ability. So you might have these pie in the sky ideas, but actually if your players can't, well, jump left throw, it doesn't really help your backs then get first phase ball. So that really dictates what you can do. Yeah, um, I think and that's hitting on, for me, that's hitting the nail on the head there is, you know, I think it's really important when you're developing a game plan to look at what your own team strengths are, what, you, what your player strengths and how can you match those up between what your ideas are as a, as a coach, um, looking at what, what, your, what your players are capable of and how you can develop them. I don't know, Giselle, do you want to come in there? First of all, LJ made a massive difference at first with the forwards and the collision and everything. So just to just to <laughs> back that up, an absolute massive difference. Um, I think yes, I think for me for me with the the game plan, um, yeah, your, your strengths are really really important. But I also think there's a are you a what sort of a team are you? Are you like a probabilities team or an exceptional opportunities team? So the risk reward stuff, what's the skill level of your players? Um, so, you know, as LJ's just said, what we want to get to at Wasps off of first phase with integrating the forwards and stuff, I think we, we got, we, we're getting there off scrum quite, quite, quite comfortably yeah. and we've got some quite um, innovative, I find it difficult to say that word, ideas 
um, and which have given us some a great back row, back row moves. Giselle, oh, you two now stop pushing, stop, stop pushing. I'm just saying, that row moves gone, and I'm telling you, it Gloucester, not gone. Gloucester. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've developed some good stuff there, but the line out thing we couldn't because the skill set wasn't strong enough, and we ended up putting ourselves. We didn't need an opponent. We put ourselves, we messed it up ourselves. Now, when your game plan is like that, where we were trying to do stuff that we would knock on or we would overthrow or we would, you know, mess up or we'd get hit behind the game line because it was, then you've just got to look at it as a coach and go, we've got this wrong. We've got to, we've got to strip it back as, as LJ says. Um, and that, that was what, what we were doing at first, you know, and I, I always call it, you know, we're just beating ourselves. We, we don't, we don't need it. Swat, swatting ourselves. Cause obviously we're wasps. We, we would call it that, 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 that was the case. And so your game plan has to fit, fit your skill set. And if there are certain things that you really want to do, then you've got to keep working that skill set. And they're exciting to get to. And when you, when you've put the work in, so we, we have to look at our opponents um, and decide, can we, can we play this type of game against their type of game or against their type of player and be successful? And, you know, we've, we've finished in a certain, you know, top three, four each time. And what we weren't able to take the next step. So we had to look at our the game plan and go, okay, if we want to win this thing, we got to develop something else because we haven't, we, we're not necessarily a big power carry smash break bulldoze down type of team. So we have to develop something else. So that's what we've set about doing. And we have very clear principles. The players all have what we're about on a little wee business card that fits in their wallets and they've all got that. Um, and we, we coach to that. It's in all of our sessions, um, which is encouraging them to be skillful players the way that, the way that it works. Um, and we develop it each time. So different we pick two or three things that we will spend that six to nine weeks just on, 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 on. And then we get really good at that and we back it. And that's, mm. that's, you know, and, and, and the development is, I think areas of the field are really, really critical of, of deciding. Yeah. So you already alluded earlier, Bird, to the, to the exit and how important that is because it threatens your scoreboard when you're there and you mess up there and it's, it's a mm. scoreboard threat. When you're at the other end of the field, you've got to take the opportunities. Everybody always says, oh, we didn't take our opportunities. Oh, if we'd taken our opportunities, we created, but we couldn't take. So you've got to have, a, I think, a very clear strategy of, of how you want to finish in the last seven, eight metres of a field. Because, you know, that, that space in between the two either ends, each metre doesn't really matter. Whereas when you get to the ends of the field, every metre of space is, is mm. critical. To whether you're going to affect the scoreboard which is ultimately the purpose of the game so it's the, the the game plan needs perhaps more attention in those areas for some people than you know than others because that's where you get the, the biggest return i think you've got to decide how you win the ball because if you can't get the ball first phase team you're getting cleaned out by it doesn't matter what your game plan is does it because you can't yeah. get the ball so it's it's developing the, the key things that make the game successful. You've got to have the ball to win the game. So how are you going to get the ball? And mm. if you're a little team, you know, you look at the Japanese, they, they won four games in World Cup, tiny wee team. And yet they worked out their, their strategy, you know, the speed that they played with was breathtaking. And the speed of their breakdown and their nine just moving that ball and everything just so frenetic and fast. And they won the lineouts through agility, not through lift and jump you know they had to move they cut down numbers they did all these different things the the ball in the scrum gone because they couldn't compete and okay when they came up against South Africa who are the most known physical side in world rugby they did come unstuck but it took them a while and and South Africa were trying to play the, a game of rugby against them and then had to stick ball up jumper and go to power game which is where Japan fell apart but you know you've got to look at okay this is who I've got this is what we're good at. So how can we make that our strength? And that's the fun of a coach. I think I love creating the game plans and stuff because 
you got to look at what you got, look at where you're at, look at who you're coming up against. And then, you know, and again, I'm 80, 20, 80% on us, 20% on our opponent. So we'll make some, mm. some tweaks. I mean, uh, it was a way back, but we, we had a game against Loughborough and, uh, we knew that if we went with what we were doing at that particular time, this is pre-LJ, so we might have been better if LJ had been here in our contacts and stuff, but we, we knew that we were likely to come off second best if we played the way we wanted to play or were used to playing. So we went up there with a completely different set of stuff and caused complete and utter chaos. And if we had been better at finishing, we would have potentially won that game. Whereas but we had so much fun doing it and the players really bought into it and said, yeah, let's go with this. And we did something completely, completely different. And they didn't know how to handle it. And, the, you know, we had a discussion afterwards about what went on at half time, and we were losing at half time. But in our changing, we looked like we were winning because we were, you know, everybody was buzzing about what we were doing and Loughborough we were winning. But they were like, what the hell do we do about this? What are we supposed to do? And, you know, completely different, even though the scoreboard was reflecting it in their favour as opposed to ours. But these are the things that, I absolutely love the game for because it's mm. so much fun so much fun massive game of chess and so much fun yeah no most definitely and you alluded to there as well you were saying about the Japanese Eddie Jones you know we, we talked about that recently on the coaching courses we've been on I mean they're a phenomenal side what they've achieved with the players they've got as well and it's it is definitely working to your players strengths isn't it and looking at how you can work and also bring the unexpected and just because you get a kind of, um, you know, this is the way like Gloucester Hartby play or this is the way Wasp plays. Like when you turn up there, you rock up. Then if you do something completely different, like a kickoff or something, you know, totally throws the opposition. And then they're like, oh my God, this isn't what they normally do. And that creates doubt in the mind. So, yeah, like you said, as coaches, I know it's so exciting because you can say again. That's the risk reward thing. Are you a team yeah, 100%. that and, you know, we, I'm not going to do it, but we could name in the league the teams that are probability teams and the yeah. teams that are looking for that, that exciting opportunity and setting, trying to create something out of. And, you know, you, you probably name the same teams as I would. And, and, you know, neither is wrong or right. It's what needs to be done to try to, to win mm. the game. It's great. Oh, it's absolutely brilliant. I've got some great discussions there. I know we've been on now for a while, but um, yeah, thank you. God, we could carry this on, I'm sure. But um, Elge, I know you're burning to ask you a quick fire round. Giselle, thank you so much. It's been really engaging and so interesting to yeah, chat to. Yeah, great. Get you Good opportunity to chat rugby. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. so you've, um, you've only got two choices. You have to pick one, all right? There's no oh. neither bird or none or whatever. Okay. So you answer, you answering first bird or me? No, just it's just but whoever just, just shout it out. Just shout it out. Okay. Shout it straight away. Okay, you ready? Mm. I start. I started easy for you, Giselle. Okay. <laughs> tea, coffee, tea. <laughs> See, I knew that would be. Uh, you. Oh, coffee. LJ, I can't believe your boss doesn't drink coffee. Flipping out. Doesn't not at all. But I drink enough tea to sink about it. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> get that coffee machine in there um, yeah tell me about it it's no caffeine it drives me mad <laughs> <laughs> but she does like popcorn I've got her onto popcorn now haven't I oh, nice. sweet and salty together sweet yeah. and salty yeah, yeah. can't for oh, lush love it <laughs> <laughs> sandwich or salad sandwich salad salad back Forward sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> um, eggs or pancakes? Pancakes. <laughs> Definitely pancakes. Yeah. Okay. Why this are these is, all food things? Like it, like it. This is algae. That's algae. I don't know. Loving it. Okay, this one's a bit more. Um, yeah, a bit more dated. Sorry. Oh. Perm or straight? Oh <laughs> my god, straight. <laughs> Did either of you have a perm? I always wanted a perm, never got one. No. I, have, I have to admit, I did have a shaggy perm. <laughs> I had really, really Once. short hair. I had really short, spiky hair, so you would have been able to perm it even if you tried. Oh, gosh. Yeah, a, dem a, demi a demi wave or something. Demi wave perm. <laughs> Mind well, you, it. looking oh. at my London haircut now, it looks like I've got a blooming perm. <laughs> and uh, last one. Um, football or rugby? Rugby! <laughs> it's, got so? it's got to be rugby, but I'm a season ticket holder. I'm a season I ticket holder. I thought that might. I like yeah, that I one. That might 
separate you a little bit. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> oh. obviously lovely, but I do enjoy, I love my football to just switch off and go and watch and enjoy rather than every time I watch rugby, I can't help my little brain going. It just whirls around <laughs> all over the place. But when I, when I watch football, I can go and enjoy. So. I like that. That's I could see, I could see your pain making that decision as well. <laughs> yeah, because it, well, it depends. You know, obviously rugby in that sense, but to to chill out and enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I can't chill when I watch rugby, and my brain just goes, and I, it annoys me. But I can't, I can't just chill when I watch rugby. Sign of a great coach, there. Yeah, great questions there, Elsie. Loving it. Thank you. It's been really great having you on, Giselle. Really, really um, exciting getting your thoughts and views me. on things. And um and LJ, thanks for all the great questions at the start as well. Certainly made us both think there. Um, if you want to hear more or send in some questions to us, just visit um or please visit, I should say, rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the podcast button to visit the women's section. Thank you all for listening. Please stay safe and well, everybody, and hopefully we'll catch up soon. Um thanks again, guys. Um see you all soon. Cheers. Good. Bye everyone. Bye. Bye.